Woman is a podcast about, you guessed it, women in LA cultivating successful lives for themselves in the grind of traffic and under the palm trees. LA is, without question, one of the world's major cultural hubs and trendsetters, and every woman here has a story to tell. Whether in work, relationships, family, friends, personal growth, finding people who get you, the list goes on. And unless you're living under a rock, it's hard to ignore that this is a really exciting time for women and their perspectives. So let's put some stories out there of women we know in LA who are building big things, and maybe you'll take away some advice, or at the very least, a good story. I'm your host, Julie Roth. I've lived in LA for eight years. It's been a crazy ride to get to where I am today, and I'm currently living in beautiful Venice Beach. Today's guest is jewelry designer, Adina Rader. If that name sounds familiar, you've probably seen or worn her gorgeous jewelry line that bears her name. Adina has been building her company, team, and aesthetic since 2001, right here in Los Angeles, her hometown. Her thoughtful designs have made her collections a celebrity favorite, and their accessible price point has made her popular among women of all ages. Adina Rader Fine Jewelry is nothing short of classic and modern, made to work from day to night for every busy woman. Through the ups and downs of trends, she has stayed true to her brand identity, delivering the designs that customers want to see and want to wear. Adina and I discussed her humble beginnings, how she gauges the market, building relationships with customers and buyers, and the importance of simply trying. Here's Adina. So hello. Hi. (laughs) So I'm so happy that you were able to join today. This is really exciting for me. Um, You have a very beautiful jewelry line that you have been developing for uh, many years, which is really a success in and of itself. So I'm very happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. So I guess with that, uh, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, Well, I am born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I am married. I have three beautiful children. I have a daughter who is 13 and two boys, 11 and eight. And I have a business, which is like my firstborn child. And I think, I know that I always knew that I wanted to be financially independent. As a kid, I saw my parents go through some financial turmoil and I knew that I had two things going for me. One is that I love design and I love being creative. And the second one is that I have a really, really strong work ethic. And so I think that combination helped me tremendously to start and continue to build a business. So when it comes to creativity and such, I mean, were you Was jewelry always on your mind, or was fashion on your mind, or was it just in general? Design in general is what interested me, from fashion to industrial design. Um, And I was living in San Francisco. I went to college. I went to UC Berkeley, and I was living in San Francisco, and I was working in the corporate world. And it was the dot-com boom, and then bust. And... I survived about seven rounds of layoffs at a company that I was working for. Um, And I knew that I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial 
and more creative. And so I read an article on my dial-up connection on a news website about a girl who made jewelry. And I just couldn't believe that they were writing about her. And I thought to myself, I can do this. And so I started to take metalwork classes at night so that I understood the fabrication process. And literally the first piece I made, because don't forget, I love design. I like interacting with design. Um, the first piece I made was a hammered metal circle on delicate, really pretty chain. And I could not walk down the street without somebody stopping me. I would go to Starbucks and the guy pouring me coffee would say, I love your necklace. Because at the time, the styles were these big, chunky stones. And I knew the way I lived my life, the way my friends lived their lives. And we woke up, we went to the gym, we ran to work, we got drinks with friends, and we needed jewelry and pieces and, and fashion that moved with us throughout our lives. Um, and so I quickly understood that I had something special on my hands and I created an entire collection around that one piece. Oh, wow. So it was all hammered? Yes, uh -huh. it was all metal. We did 14 karat gold and sterling silver. Um, and I would not go anywhere without my entire collection in my purse. So I was always selling while I was still working actually. Um, and then we moved back to, I was living in San Francisco at the time. My husband was in medical school there. So uh, I really started my business from nothing. I mean, we, we had nothing. We moved back to Los Angeles at the time so he could start his residency and that's where we're both from. Um, I took another job in advertising and I remember on my way to the interview actually, I got a phone call from the first store that I had sold to. I had just dropped my pieces off there the day before. And the store owner called me to tell me that Demi Moore walked in, bought two pieces and was photographed in InStyle magazine. And right after that, <laughs> Another store that I sold to, the second store I sold to, literally. I was in two stores at the time. The wardrobe person from Friends walked in about my entire collection, and it was featured on a 45-minute episode of Friends on Jennifer Aniston. And that was just this incredibly meaningful event because these women who had tremendous exposure were wearing my pieces the way they were meant to be worn. Um, at the time on Friends, you know, Rachel worked, she had a job, she was writing around, she was super stylish, and she was, she really wore the jewelry in the right way. And walking into my first trade show, I had all these celebrities that had purchased my pieces retail. They were just the first two. So I thought to myself, if I break even at this trade show, which was $12,000, if I can break even, I will quit my job because I had to take vacation days to go to a trade show. And I remember getting to the trade show, my husband came with me and I looked around and I thought to myself, my booth looks terrible. I sent him out to Ben Bath and Beyond and Crate and Barrel and had him buy vases and I had to make my booth look a little bit better. But the first day I had a line out my booth and I did more than break even the first day. And that's when I knew that we were doing something different. And my collection has always, always been based on beautiful, thoughtfully designed, fine jewelry at accessible price points uh, that women can actually buy for themselves. 
And I think those are all key differentiating factors. Prior to that, fine jewelry was something that you waited for someone to buy for you. So we were really able to do something new and interesting and very, very different. Uh, So I came back from that trade show and I quit my job. I had to give them a month of part-time because I couldn't give them two weeks. And everyone at the company was actually very excited for me because they had all been wearing my jewelry and been following this story the entire time. Wow. That feeling of initially starting your business is thrilling. Wow. Lots of learnings, but super exciting at the same time. Certainly, I'm sure. So... Where were these pieces being made, Um, your first pieces? Yeah, they were all being made in Los Angeles. All of my pieces, when I first started, were made domestically. And I would go downtown. I don't know how many of your listeners know what downtown Los Angeles looked like, you know, 10, 15, 17 years ago. But it's been cleaned up tremendously since then. And uh, even during the day, it was just a crazy place to walk around. And I talked to anyone and everyone I could to start my business. I probably met with every jewelry manufacturer in all of downtown Los Angeles until I found people that I believed shared the same core values and ethics that I did. I'm still working with some of those same manufacturers and suppliers today. And many people don't want to work with someone small who's doing small quantities. And it was sheer I think, uh, you know, willpower that and hardcore hustling that allowed them to want to work with me. And we were able to build something that was much bigger. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, it sounds like persistence is something that you have no choice but to have. No. When starting a business, I would say... The one piece of advice, I was thinking about that the other day, that I would give to anybody is to try. You have to constantly try at every stage in your business. Uh, And I think that's where this work ethic and hard work comes in. You know, when I first started my business, I thought about actually my great-grandmother, who came to this country at 17 years old. She was actually married and pregnant on the boat. But she came to this country speaking probably seven languages, none of them English. I mean, she escaped some terrible things in Europe. And she came to this country with nothing and built this incredible life and gigantic business. She actually came into Brooklyn and bought a sweater off somebody's back and decided that she was going to move her entire family to Los Angeles and start a knitwear business. And I think as second, third, fourth generation Americans, we forget those stories. But we live in this unbelievable country with so much opportunity for enterprise. And as I was starting my business, I thought about her so much. And I thought to myself, there's no reason not to try. And that to me is the most important part of having a business is that continual persistence and and drive. It's just trying. That's very well said. I try.
conversation I think lately around startups has been in the startup phase. There's a lot of dialogue and conversation and encouragement for women who are just starting out um, maybe five years or less. So were there times five years in, 10 years in, 15 years yeah. in, like any challenges that you yes. that you have gone through? Yes. As an entrepreneur, you face challenges every single day. And every day we wake up and we think, how can we do it better? From our product to customer service, all of it. I think about, it was five, six years into our business, we had a gigantic, there was a gigantic recession that hit. It was 2007. And at that point, I really had to reevaluate my business and figure out what we were going to do to survive. So being nimble is key in creating a lasting business and being able to understand the environment, both financially as well as what your customers want is key. There were a few real benefits that came out of that entire recession. One, we were able to look inside and make our processes even better, create better systems in terms of customer service, really listen to our customers. And the flip side of that is I had two young children and it allowed me to spend more time with them at a time when they really needed me. And as a business owner, that's a constant challenge. I think as a woman, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, it's finding that balance. And I want to put everything I have into my business and I want to put everything I have into my children as well. And I looked at that as an opportunity. I looked at that challenge really as an opportunity to fine tune my internal processes and make our designs better and figure out better ways to do things and also spend time with my children because it afforded me that time. How do you measure that? Like when you talk about what your customers want, how do you gauge what the market is, is looking like for jewelry? Well, the way that we gauge what the market looks like is number one through sales. We look at what's selling, what our best categories are, but also personally, I love going to trade shows and I love talking to my buyers. I find that we get real insight into what the customer wants, what they're buying, and we have this really direct connection through our buyers and our stores to hear from our customers what they want, what they like about the brand, what they don't like, what they wish they could see, what they want to see. Now, as we've grown, I mean, I used to know every single buyer by name or at least by store name, which sometimes was embarrassing. Um, we now obviously have grown and I have an incredible sales staff that is in constant communication with our stores and order ships and we follow up and we find out what it is that they like, what is going on, what's not moving, what is moving, what do they need more of? And again, I think that's a key differentiating factor and why we're able to survive are those really strong connections that we have to our retailers. Relationships, right? It's all relationships. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's so interesting. How does that even 
start, like how do you start a relationship with a buyer? Is it from a trade show typically for, for retail in your experience? I, uh, there are many ways to start relationships with buyers. Trade show is a great way to start those relationships because the buyers are there, they're walking the floor. If you have a product that's unique, that stands out, it is a good buyer's job to look at everything that's out there in the marketplace and make good decisions um, based on what their customer wants, but also what they see as emerging trends. So trade shows are an incredible place to start. We've been very, very fortunate that we've had tremendous success at trade shows. But also going out there and hustling. There is nothing like walking into a store and literally asking who the buyer is, getting the contact name, calling them up, sending them information, sending them samples. The power of that hustle is huge. And just because they said no doesn't mean no forever. It means no for right now. And it's our job as a business to go back and say, well, why did they say no? What can we do if it makes sense to get into that store? We believe that's where our customers are and where we want to go. What can we do to get in there? How can we change our products? What can we do in terms of merchandising and price points? And we, we look at all of that. Yeah. Merchandising is another interesting one too, right? Because you're like, can you put my necklace up front? <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you, everyone in my office knows, I have always said this, that our jewelry has to sell itself. It just does. So our, the scale of our pieces is not huge. It's meant to be worn and enjoyed every single day, day to night. And those pieces have to tell that story in the case. They have to sell themselves. So we really work hand in hand with our stores in terms of how to lay out our pieces, how it should be best merchandised. It's really funny. You can have 10 necklaces in the case and they're gone within a few weeks. And you have one necklace left and that one necklace won't sell. It needs its friends there. So the minute that that stock is replenished, that's the first necklace that moves. So it has to tell a story and the customer has to immediately understand how to wear the piece and how it integrates into their daily life. Yes, I do have a bit of retail experience and that's something that we talked about often, which was, um, there's a saying for it, but I can't remember. But it was like, the, it has to look full. Yes. Um, it has to be a stack of something. Or um, yeah, like you said, like the friends need to be around because then people look and it looks, I don't know if it's, it looks abundant or it makes yeah. you, it draws your eye or something. But yeah, if there's like one shirt left of something, it'll just sit there. Yeah. The one thing I could tell you about our pieces is that because women buy it for themselves, because it has this accessible price point, they buy one and then we find that they collect them. So we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers who own five pieces and more because you can layer two necklaces, you can wear several earrings if you have multiple holes. It's something that they wear over and over again and that they can layer and also create their own identity and their own look and it all fits together beautifully because yeah. it was made for that. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, um, there's, there's a trust there though, you know, like they buy one of your pieces, they see the quality as well. Cause mm -hmm. you know, we've all, I think been victim to inexpensive jewelry yeah. that doesn't really pull through in the long run, Yeah, you know? So I think that's, there's something there too. And there's like a, a brand story that you're telling, but also a quality story that, that you're telling too. The jewelry has my name on it. So we definitely stand behind the product. 
from, of course, a design perspective, but also a quality standpoint. When you first started out, I believe you were at a company of one. Yes. <laughs> okay, but you're not anymore. So at what point did you, well, I imagine your husband was also sort of like employee number one um, or partner number one. It's actually very funny. My husband helped. He would go to medical school in the day. He would go to residency. He would come home and help me bag jewelry and cut chain. And we were living in the crappiest LA apartment which was great because it was very motivating. But because we were in an apartment and all my pieces were hammered at the time, um, and I was having, or orders were coming in for hundreds and hundreds of units, my neighbors were complaining because I was physically hammering the metal in my apartment. So my father-in-law had just retired as a dentist and I would drop off thousands of metal, metal pieces to him to hammer. And we used to call him Lord of the Rings because he, I think, was employee number three. <laughs> Thousands by hand. Yeah, it was all done by hand. It was wild. That is a crazy story. Yeah. Um, I think everyone who has moved to LA with not much has been in one of those apartments because yeah. I share that experience with you. Oh my God. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm glad to not be in that apartment. Yeah, anymore. I blew through my savings real quick <laughs> when I first moved here. Right? So, going back to. I yeah. guess employee number four, let's say. So at what point did you think, A, I need help, like I need, I need to hire someone, but B, trusting someone to take on the role of spreading your name out there and spreading your product out there, what is that like? Every time we hire someone, I look for someone who has a great attitude and a great work ethic because I think everything else can be taught. And the first person I actually hired was immediately after I, I had to quit my job. We had so many orders coming in. And I had called a hotel in Miami and I got a trunk show. So my husband and I were gonna go out there as a negative vacation. And of course I was busy fulfilling orders. And the night before we were gonna leave, I ran over to the mall before it closed to get some stuff for the trip. And I actually ran into J. Crew, And I saw this adorable girl who was telling stock people where to put shirts out. She was helping three different customers, all with a smile on her face. And I literally pulled her aside and I said, listen to me, I have five minutes to get all my shopping done and I'm leaving for a week, but here's my card. I want you to call me. You need to come work for me. And she did. That was my first employee. So the, the people that work for me, and I really see it as they work with me, work with me for a long time because they have a very positive outlook on life. And I think in terms of our company culture, that's a huge piece of it. We don't take ourselves seriously, but we take the jewelry very seriously. We take the product very seriously. We take the customer service piece of it very seriously. Every single part of the business we take seriously except for ourselves. And I think the fact that we're able to have a sense of humor and come to work every day, work hard, but enjoy what we do is part of the longevity of my business. I think I work hard to instill that culture into the day-to-day -day of our business. Since the 
day that we started, that I started this business, I have been self-funded. I mean, we really started with nothing. And we were able to consistently reinvest in the business to make it grow. And I think that recognizing what your strengths are as a founder is important, but also recognizing your weaknesses. And the only way that I'm able to have the success that I have is to work with people that are really, really smart and that have talents that I don't. And that enables me to think bigger and to open the business to new ideas. And I think one of my strengths is being able to recognize a good idea, even if it wasn't mine. Yeah. Yeah. And to have that humility as well, right? We try. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like you're more on the creative side at this point or the business side? Like what, what do you love most? I love my business with my heart and my soul. I love it because I created it from nothing. And I feel so passionate about what we're doing, which is providing this incredible product. We're providing beautiful, fine jewelry to women at unbelievable price points. And the fact that I get to wake up and do that every day and now have a team of people to help me do that is pretty tremendous. I think over the years we've seen a giant shift too in the jewelry industry. When I first started, gold was $300 an ounce and it's now well over $1,000 an ounce. So what really I think keeps it interesting is thinking about our product and still being able to deliver a quality fine jewelry piece given the fluctuation in metal prices that stays true to our core tenets of beautiful design, accessible price point, and it, again, jewelry for all women of all ages that can take them through every single part of their day and their life. And pass them on. Absolutely pass them on. Yeah. Most of the jewelry that I wear has been passed on to me. Yeah. Yeah. Except for well, my engagement ring. But um, but then it's your then, turn to then. Yes, exactly. At some point. Yeah. And, and of course, things that I've bought for myself over the years, too. And this is what I find so interesting about your philosophies. You keep, you know, talking about a woman buying something for herself. And I think that has become a huge part of the conversation in retail. I know that they say, you know, women make most of the decisions in the household and the buying and stuff like that, but that doesn't necessarily, or hadn't always included stuff for themselves. It's more for their families and to keep the house going and mm -hmm. things like that. So I've noticed there's been a shift in the conversation over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years about, you know, for instance, buying a diamond ring for yourself. Um, yeah. I know someone who bought herself a, a, a small diamond ring um, after a breakup, yeah. you know? So um, I just think it's really, I just think it's really nice that this is something that, that you're thinking about so much because yeah, we do want stuff for ourselves. And you know, the more that we um, are becoming career women or even 
like moms who do things on the side and stuff, it's like, I deserve this. Yeah, you know, and you don't need to wait for anybody to show you that. You can just decide for yourself. Absolutely. And jewelry has exactly what you're mentioning, this kind of emotional tie to it. So you remember when you bought it, even if you bought it for a promotion or a breakup or girlfriends went in and got it for you for a birthday gift, it has that emotional tie to it. So you, you really remember why you bought it, why you're wearing it. And unlike clothing, it's something you can wear every single day. So you really do get the full enjoyment out of it. And that's what we're trying to do. When I started my business 17 years ago, we were definitely one of the first companies to launch everyday fine jewelry at incredible price points. And over the past 17 years, we know that we will always design for that customer who wants that initial price point. I mean, we do diamonds for under $200. We do sterling and diamonds for $200. You can get a 14 karat gold and diamond necklace for under $300. So we will always be making those, editing those pieces, adding to those collections. But one thing we've seen over the past 17 years is that our customer has grown up with us and we've been able to introduce pieces at a slightly higher price point with slightly bigger diamonds, but still every day and still accessible within that category. So that's a very exciting trend that we've been starting to see. And I think it really started with Meghan Markle recently wearing three of our, our pieces over and over again. Um, so seeing someone who really encapsulates who our core customer is, She's sophisticated, she's elegant, but yet she's busy. She's working, she's giving of herself. She has style, she has design, has really allowed us to grow in ways that are very, very exciting. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. Thank you. So I believe that she ordered retail as well. Yeah. She has purchased all three pieces that she owns of ours retail. And that's another really exciting aspect of this because we've been very fortunate to have so many celebrities that have worn our pieces and it's given us tremendous exposure. But when somebody wears it because they really want to, I, I believe that our customers know that and they can feel that. And we see a big jump on the sales side of it because of it. That's so cool. I'm, again, so happy to have you here. I think that there are a lot of women or men out there who can really learn from your experiences. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. I hope you're inspired by Adina's story. I'm still picturing her hammering all those pieces in her apartment. <laughs> Persistence. You can find Adina Rader Fine Jewelry at adinarader.com and get some serious inspo at adinarader on Instagram. I'd also like to share with you that I'll be attending an exciting event on Thursday, March 7th, the eve of International Women's Day. 
The University of Michigan's Ross School of Business is hosting Momentum, a live stream event about breaking barriers and championing female leadership. Their panel will feature four distinguished female leaders who will share their stories, lessons learned, and explore issues facing women in the workplace today. Register for the live stream now by visiting michiganross.umich.edu slash momentum panel. Thanks for tuning in to LA Woman. Please do us a solid and subscribe and rate on iTunes. And we're also at lawomanpodcast.com and at lawomanpodcast on Instagram. Let's keep inspiring each other as LA Women and as women everywhere. One more thing. This podcast was written, produced, and edited by me, Julie Roth. Our music was composed by Jazar. <laughs>